What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Well, hope you had a, a happy holiday season and a good new year and put it all behind you because baseball is like six weeks away. Woo! Kind of. The countdown, I think, can like really begin in earnest here. Yeah, huh? I know. Pitchers and catchers, less than six weeks, man. Yeah, there's there might not be a more optimistic phrase in the world. No, than there isn't. Pitchers and catchers. It is the single greatest phrase in the English language. Because uh, we never talk about them as a pairing in the same way as we do when we're counting down until the, the time those two groups can report to Florida right. and Arizona. Yeah, no, it's beautiful. It's beautiful, and I can't uh, I can't wait for it. And that is really about six weeks away as we welcome you in to the ninety first. Couldn't remember. Ninety first edition of the Show Before the Show podcast from MILB.com. Hi everybody, welcome, welcome aboard. We are uh, we're rested and rejuvenated after a uh, holiday break. A couple of weeks away, we had a chance to put together some really fun episodes, the top player interviews, and some of our top kind of newsmaker interviews from 2016. I'm Tyler Mon. He's Sam Dykstra. Those were a fun couple of looks back at 2016. But uh, let's face it, everybody's ready to get beyond 2016. 2017's here, man. Yeah, but let's just revisit one quick thing from 2016 that happened at the very end there. Uh, Tyler, you and I both received an email on December 26th, um, yes. which was a direct response to a call that we had put out on this very podcast, was. which was, if you are it listening to our mind. podcast on Zoom, we will send you a free Ben's Biz shirt. And who answered the call but one, Matt Marshall. Matt uh, Marshall. Glenside, Pennsylvania. Our hero. Uh, Matt reached out to us, just said, hey, hope you're having a happy holidays. Uh, don't know if you were joking, but here's a picture of me actually listening <laughs> to the podcast on Zoom. It amazed me. It, it was so fantastic. And we are men of our words. Uh, Dykstra's and Mons, we stick to our words. And he and has. A, what? And Hills, even though Ben wasn't in the and conversation, Hills. we just and volunteered yes. one of his shirts. Yeah, no, we uh, we have a shirt going out to Matt. Uh, it should be getting there hopefully soon. Matt, if you're listening to this again, uh, I'll reach out to you individually. But uh, please post that you received it. Let us know. We'll, we'll spread spread it across our channels as well. But uh, yeah, so when we say we're going to do something on this podcast and you guys reach out and prove that you've done it on your end, we will repay you, as we have said. So. And our apologies, but it was only a one Zoom only offer. So for the oh, rest yeah, of the no, Zoom please. listening contingent, you're out of luck. I'm sorry. Yeah, please don't go out and buy a Zoom <laughs> just Zune to get a free In order to get a Ben's Biz t-shirt, which yeah. I'm sure, you know, you could probably buy 35 Zooms for the cost of one Ben's Biz t-shirt these days. Oh, for sure. For um, sure. That's, sorry, that's Matt. just Sorry, Matt. I didn't mean that about your Zoom. No, my favorite thing about that email was he concluded the email by saying, I keep waiting for it to die, but it doesn't. Which <laughs> is awesome and so perfect. So yeah, that was pretty cool. And uh we got some very we've built a pretty loyal following here with this this little podcast that could. It's fun. Yeah, and we're very thankful for it as we roll into the new year and what should be an exciting new year for for us and baseball and all that is to come over these next twelve months. We are pumped about it. And on that note, you can find the minor league baseball podcast all over the podcasting world we're on itunes we're on the stitcher app you can find our rss feed at milb.com slash podcast as well we're now up to 28 five-star reviews on itunes which is you know better than you can say for that jay mariotti woody page podcast that was launched this week and apparently people just went on started giving it one star it was like a 300 one-star reviews after 10 minutes of being on itunes so we we love you and your honest ratings if you think we've been five-star worthy, that's terrific. And you can go find us on iTunes or anywhere else you get podcasts and uh, tune into the show. Send us your feedback, podcast at MILB.com. Sam's on Twitter. He's at Sam Dykes or MILB, and I am at Tyler Mon. And without further ado, the inaugural three strikes of 2017 is here. We're going to go New Year's resolutions. We did a little bit of a holiday wish list toward the end of 2016. That was kind of more for me and Sam, what we wanted to see uh, coming up for the 2017 season. This is going to be resolutions for the minor leagues as a whole. So, Sam, take it away. Give me your three. Yeah, so we'll do these very quickly. I know for 2016, we did whole podcasts on what the resolution should be for the AL and NL team. We're going to make this much, much quicker. Uh, number one for me, 
I want to be surprised. So that's that's something that I always look forward to with each coming uh, baseball season, and that's at the top of my list here. I want there to be you know one player, one team, something that we did not see coming uh, in the coming year. I think it's always good to you know be prepared to be surprised. I mean, be prepared for any possibility out there. Specifically, when it comes to baseball, we know the wide swath of things that can happen out on the diamond, but. Uh, I want there to be a player that we're talking about at the end that was not on our radar at all. Uh, those stories always get me really excited, guys who break out or systems that break out. So that, that'll that be my number one. Uh, number two, we're going to get much more specific uh, as we go further down here. Uh, number two, I want somebody who was taken in the AAA portion of the Rule 5 draft this year to become a guy, not just like a nice, fancy little you know, – footnote in when we're looking back at the 2016 slash 2017 rule five draft, I want somebody on that list to actually, you know, become a major prospect. Somebody like Justin Bauer, uh, you know, made his way from the triple a portion to a, an actual major league spot. Somebody like that. You might remember, you know, loyal listeners or readers. Remember I did a tool shed right before the break on Ty Hensley. He was taken by the, the rays uh, from the Yankee system. Hasn't pitched since 2014. After doing Tommy John surgery, he also missed all of 2013 with hip impingement, but was a 2012 first-round pick. be really good to see him be healthy and fully back uh, on the mound. Um, there are a lot of other really cool stories from there, like Art Charles, a guy who was signed by Cincinnati out of independent ball on October 24th and then taken in the AAA portion by the Milwaukee Brewers. Uh, Brian Moran, um, Pitched all of six games at AAA after signing with Atlanta out of independent ball, then was taken by the Orioles. Uh, so little stories like that. You know, I want to see the AAA portion become an actual through line for some of these guys, a, a real opportunity. Uh, so that's number two. Uh, number three, just looking at guys who are ranked among top 100 prospects right now. If I had to give a specific goal to one player, I just really want to see a full season out of Dylan Cease. Uh, he's you know, one of the top pitching prospects in the Cub system might be the top p- pitching prospect in that system right now. Uh, was a six-round pick in 2014. Had Tommy John surgery later that year, so he's only pitched 68 and two-thirds innings uh, between 2015 and 2016. As the Cubs kind of bring him back slowly, uh, posted a 2.22 ERA with 66 strikeouts and 44 and two-thirds innings last year. Class A short season, Eugene. Uh, everything you read about the guy's stuff is just off the charts. You know, his fastball earned a 70 grade on the 20 to 80 scale from MLB.com. Uh, his curveball got a 60 grade. He's still only 21 years old as a right-hander. So he certainly has the tools to be dominant. Uh, he has to improve his control as he's getting back. This is a guy who, you know, through his 68 and two-thirds innings in the minors so far has walked 41 batters. I think that's going to kind of come with time. I just want to see a full healthy year from him see him unleashed on a full season affiliate and see what, what we got with him. Uh, Cause he seems like a guy who could have rocket fuel if he can prove his health. So if I'm just going to write down three bullet points, those would be them for, for the 2017 season. Um, some resolutions that I hope by the end of the year, we're able to say that they were all successful, but you know, that's, that's why we played the game. We'll have to see how it all shakes out. Uh, what about for you, Tyler? What are you your three play to win the game? Sorry. Um, I, I, <laughs> First of all, very much like the term he could have rocket fuel. I think I'll probably steal that this year. <laughs> yeah, like come the... May, we're just you're just gonna say rocket yeah. fuel, and it'll be a, exactly. a nice callback for somebody. Um, I'm gonna start with one that. Well, I'll start with one that I basically just kind of ripped off from Sam, but it's uh, it's similar and it's also different. Sam wanted to see, you know, kind of the surprise guy who blows up this year who we haven't talked about. What I would like to see is a surprise system in that same type of vein. Last year was the New York Yankees. We knew coming into 2016 they had a very talented system. Going out of 2016, they had obviously the uh, obviously maybe arguably I guess the most talented system in baseball clint frazier glaber torres jorge mateo aaron judge obviously what he did at the major league level gary sanchez upon his graduation everybody realized how good he has the potential to be at the major league level um but even you know guys like justice sheffield were in the middle stages of that top 10 in the yankee system not in the organization last year so i want to see what that system is going to be in 2017 uh there are a lot of systems that i like in that regard we were talking before we came on 
I like the way the Milwaukee Brewers have reshaped themselves over the last couple of years. Um, if they continue doing that, adding high ceiling, high level types of guys like Lewis Brinson, maybe that's a system that we talk about in that upper echelon going into 2018. Uh, but that's something that I'm anxious to see this year is if a system is able to remake itself or even just add to how good it already is the way the Yankees did last year. Um, secondly, this is kind of an easy one, but I think a, a good minor league wide resolution is let's not have any crazy ballpark situations in 2017. I'm looking at you, Hartford. Uh, you're the only ones out there. Uh, no, but this gives us a chance to talk about something that we discussed last year. There are no new minor league specific ballparks opening in 2017 unless you count Dunkin Donuts Park the home of the Hartford Yard Goats which was supposed to open last year turned into a, a rough situation the Yard Goats spent the entire 16th season on the road 2017 they will be at home so they're really the only domino out there uh, to fall but that's a unique thing about 2017 Benjamin Hill did some research it's I think over 30 years in minor league baseball since there was last a season in which no new ballpark opened across the minor leagues so that's something to be valued in this year the consistency of where teams are calling home uh, obviously there is a new ballpark situation in the Carolina League Kinston's Granger Stadium returns uh, to take on a new club in the Down East Wood Ducks the Bowie's Creek Astros will be added to the minor leagues. They're moving into the Carolina League. That's not a new ballpark, though. They'll play at Campbell University. It's already an existing structure. So kind of a, a different situation there. But uh, that's a good thing in minor league baseball, that this year there isn't a situation just kind of hanging out there like that. Uh, and third and finally, this one is a little bit more on the specific side, as Sam was kind of talking about for his three as well. But I would like to see how quickly we see rises out of top prospects, guys who were taken high in the draft last year. And I've got an eye on two. Um, this obviously is, you know, the way we've sort of seen from Dansby Swanson and Alex Bregman and those guys in seasons past where it's a very quick transition from the draft through the minor leagues, into the major leagues. This year, I've got my eye on a couple of guys. Nick Senzel, who's the third base prospect taken with the second overall selection in the 2016 first-year player draft out of the University of Tennessee uh, by the Cincinnati Reds. He's one guy that I really, really like. And another guy who I really like, and I don't think that we're going to see quite the same sort of rise out of, and there's a reason for that, is Kyle Lewis and the Seattle Mariners organization. Now, Lewis is a different circumstance because he tore his ACL in July of last year, so that's going to automatically slow him down in 2017. But if he comes out, gets back on the field, goes to, let's say, Everett, plays well in short season ball, how quickly do the Mariners challenge him? Those have been some of the storylines I've liked watching most over the last few years, especially since I started with MILB back in 2014, is, you know, 10, 15 years ago, guys were drafted, and it took them a while, regardless of where they went in the draft, regardless of where they came out of school, it took them a while to climb through the minor league ranks. Nowadays, in this era in baseball, we see guys climb so quickly and make such massive impacts at the major league level. Today is a perfect day to talk about it because Chris Bryant, National League MVP, World Series MVP, turned 25 today. And he went to college. It's not like he was drafted at 18 and went right into the minor leagues. So that's how quickly guys are making those moves. So that's something that I'll be intrigued to, to watch in 2017 as well. Yeah. Yeah. That, um I, I think Senzel has a real good chance there uh, with the Reds, you know, specifically with their hope to uh, to rebuild. And, you know, I don't I don't think there's going to be anybody really holding him back. So, you know, everybody kind of thought he has maybe the lowest ceiling, but the, one of the highest floors in that draft uh, or, you know, lowest ceiling amongst the top 10 picks, maybe. Um, but he can achieve that ceiling real fast, and we got a taste of that last year. So, yeah, I'll be interested to see how just how aggressive they are with him and how aggressive he can kind of push himself uh, in that first full season. So I, I think on the whole, those are three good ones. I think we got six good ones yeah. to, to revisit come next December. I think we're, we're looking pretty solid for 2017. Six easy ones for us to say. Look at how I predicted that one. I was great. <laughs> I was so smart. Uh, strike two this week, Sam. A minor trade went down yesterday. A minor league deal. I shouldn't call it a minor trade. It's big to both of these guys. But I will quote from the story written by one Kelsey Hennigan at MILB.com. Quote, the Kansas City Royals acquired Peter O'Brien from the Arizona Diamondbacks for minor league right-hander Sam Lewis on Tuesday. Both clubs confirmed O'Brien had been designated for assignment back on December 23rd. He was the number seven prospect 
in the Arizona Diamondbacks organization, traded at the deadline in 2014, hit 34 homers that year, one of the top power prospects, arguably the top power prospect in minor league baseball. But as a member of a National League organization, was kind of a head-scratcher because Peter O'Brien didn't have a defensive home. He was reared as a catcher. He was There was an attempted move to the outfield with him with the Diamondbacks last year. Really just struggled defensively. Didn't hit very well at the major league level. Um, in his defense, hasn't gotten consistent work at the major league level either. But this seems like a good deal, especially for Peter O'Brien. He's a very un-Royals-like type of prospect, uh, but I think this has the potential to be something really, really good for the Royals and great for Peter O'Brien. Yeah, for sure. The thing I like about it for him specifically is he goes to an AL club. Uh, you know, as a guy without a defensive home, he has a very good chance at sticking at DH, you know, should the Royals decide to go that route with him. Um, and, you know, looking at the roster as it's kind of made right now, you know, it depends on whether they're going to keep Lorenzo Kane and, in center, what it, what they're going to do with Jared Dyson? You know, they traded for Jorge Soler. So, is he the DH? Is he the right fielder? What does all that mean? But if that doesn't, sh- you know, if they decide to keep Dyson on the bench as a speed option, a fourth outfielder, uh, I think O'Brien could shift quite nicely into that DH role, uh, despite you know his struggles at the major league level. Um, you know, as Tyler mentioned, not really getting that many. Um, a good you know stretch of at bats with the D-backs when he was up there twice in 2015 and 2016 in 36 games he hit 176 with a 674 OPS uh, struck out 32 times in 74 at bats so that's not exactly what you want to see but when he's making contact he can thump it with the best of them uh, he hit six homers in those 36 games in the major league level so you know it, if they decide to just take defense off his plate completely uh, let him just work on the bat. He's going to have to do better, you know, making contact. Even in AAA Reno last year, he struck out 147 times and 406 at bats. Uh, still posted at 800 OPS with 24 homers. So he he's a nice, cheap option. Um, Sam Lewis, you know, as a reliever, hasn't pitched above the lower levels yet. Uh, he was a Tommy John guy. You know, this is a very easy buy low opportunity. Uh, which makes sense for the Royals, given that the D-backs had already designated designated O'Brien for assignment. Um, so, you know, he was going to be waived if he wasn't traded. But, uh, yeah, we'll have to see how this kind of shakes out. He, just to give you an idea, though, he did go from number seven in the D-back system that is not very good right now. I mean, that's the midseason ranking. We have to highlight that. Uh, MLB has not updated their rankings this offseason yet. So that at midseason, he was like the number seven prospect in the D-back system. He falls all the way to number 24 uh, in the Royal system, which isn't exactly an upper tier system either. So obviously he's losing his luster a little bit in terms of prospect status, but he's going to have a much better major league opportunity, I think, in Kansas City uh, because of the DH than he would have in Arizona. What also uh, sticks out to this deal is the the new D-backs administration, I think, is very ready to move on from the Dave Stewart, Tony LaRusso, that era, I think in Arizona, they really, really want to make sure that that is gone uh, because that brought a whole lot of the, the questions around the major league roster were one thing, but what that administration did in using its minor league assets, trading away Dansby Swans and trading away Tuki Toussaint, there was so much head scratching around the moves that the D-backs made that I think this new group in the front office in Arizona is very ready to put its own stamp on what that system is going to look like. And the thing that's crazy about it is there's still a lot of good talent in that D-back system. I mean, it's not quite as deep as other systems in that division or in the National League, um, and that's kind of evidenced by the fact that you trade away your number seven prospect. He's number 20 across the aisle in Kansas City. But still, there are some really bright pieces in Arizona, so um, it'll be interesting to see the way that system is built for the next few years. Um, And now is where we get to have one of those awkward moments where I have to sort of toss it to Sam because strike three is about something I wrote. I was going to say, are we, are we peeling back the curtain on Absolutely. this? I was, I was going to do a thing where I was going to say something <laughs> else and then, I, but no, now, now we're here. So here we are. Yeah. So <laughs> tossing it back to you, Tyler, uh, you had a real fun story you know, that came out today when we were recording this on Wednesday about Blake McFarlane, uh, who people might know he was a guy added to the Blue Jays' 40-man roster in the past, then had to be released. He was added back. He didn't 
pitch this year because of shoulder problems. Um, but he's making news in other ways in other sports kind of, uh, what can you kind of tell us about Blake McFarlane and what he's done off the field and what could have been a very difficult 2016 for him? Yeah. So this is a really random story that I came across, kind of got dropped uh, into my lap. Blake McFarland, as you noted, Blue Jays prospect was signed as a, an undrafted free agent back in 2011 out of San Jose state. But in addition to being, a relief pitching prospect. He's also an artist. Um, and this cracked me up. This is the way he describes getting into artwork. He said, quote, it all started in my parents' house. They had this little koi fish painting in one of the rooms of the house. And I told my mom one day, this is when I was in junior college, so I was 18 years old or so. I told her, quote, this painting kind of sucks. I could do something way better than this, unquote. And that was how it got started for Blake McFarland. He just decided one day, nah, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be better than whoever painted this terrible koi fish painting. And apologies if you somehow know Blake McFarland and also the person who painted that koi fish painting, but Blake didn't like it. Um <laughs> so that day he went out and said he bought paintbrushes and paint and easel and he started working uh blake does have an artist website if you want to go check it out it's amazing some of his work is incredible not just the paintings then he branched out into making stuff out of wine corks and then a few years ago he started making sculptures out of tires and when this story first came to me, I was like, I don't even get how this works. How would how would you do that in the first place? But he said he was driving by a, a kid's playground a few years ago, and he saw a bunch of tires in the playground that were supposed to look like either a snake or a dragon or something kind of coming out of the ground. And he thought, you know what? I could probably do that. I could probably work with that. And not only can do I feel like I could do it, but it's easily accessible material. I can go to old auto parts shops. I can go to recycling centers. I can get tires. Um, and so he started working away making sculptures, incredible, mind-bogglingly cool stuff, which is also on on his site if you want to go have a look at it. We also had a photo gallery from a few years ago uh, on our site of some of Blake's work. Um, and Blake was approached this year to create sculptures of the mascots of the Western Michigan Broncos and the Wisconsin Badgers for the Cotton Bowl. He was approached by Goodyear, title sponsor of the Cotton Bowl, said, we've seen your work, we really like it. Would you be interested in doing this? Now, the backstory to all this is, in, at the end of 2015, Blake was added to the Blue Jays' 40-man roster. But in 2016, he underwent shoulder surgery in May and didn't pitch all year. So the art is what really kind of kept him going. He said when people talk about how tough it is to be on the disabled list, you really can't explain how tough it is because you just sit there. All your friends are out. All your teammates are out. They're playing games. They're trying to win. They're having fun. And you're at a spring training facility doing your rehab, not having anything else to do. So the art, I think, is really what in large part kept Blake pretty sane in 2016. And then the reward for that was in uh, in November, he's approached to put this together for the Cotton Bowl. That's when it gets finalized. Then in December, he's still waiting around, doesn't know the teams. So it was three weeks ahead of game time that he had to make two basically lifelike sculptures, life-size sculptures, uh, one of the Western Michigan Bronco, one of Bucky the Badger from uh, from Wisconsin. And he had to work 18 straight days. He had 18 full days of work. And we have a really cool time-lapse video of him working on both of these sculptures in his parents' three-car garage in San Jose and was basically up against the wire trying to figure out how he was going to get this done for the Cotton Bowl, but he did, created these incredible sculptures. They were put uh, on display for the kind of the unveiling, the pre-bowl game festivities in Dallas, and then obviously a really good game. Wisconsin came out winners uh, back on Monday, but just a really cool, random thing. We come across so many of those stories over the offseason of what guys do away from the field, and something like this is one of the neater things that, that I've been able to learn about because I really admire people, A, who are artistic in any sense, but B, the people that are artistic in really unique mediums have always fascinated me. And when you're able to do that, and oh, by the way, you're a professional athlete, it was really cool to get a chance to talk to Blake about this. Yeah, I, it's just fascinating because we, we think of them as like two different parts of the brain almost. Um, but for for pictures like this, I mean, you know, I don't know. I've, I've always thought of them so analytically. And so to see them in this creative mold, uh, specifically for something like this, just so random, it's just so fun. Uh, and I have to point out this because uh, Kelsey Hennigan, you know, our coworker, who's getting called out for the second time today. Well, I'm sure she's so excited for that. Uh, we both pointed out your lead in this story, Tyler. Uh, throughout his baseball career, Blake Far McFarlane has become accustomed to pressure situations, which I thought was a pun. And then the second line, which Kelsey thought was a pun, 
What faced him in December, however, was something entirely different. And you said that was not on purpose. Um, I'm going to, again, pull back the curtain. And I think this is a very good spotlighting moment of just how better and higher level writers you and Kelsey are than me, because I didn't even, I just kind of, I wrote that two of those sentences and I had no idea either one of them would have been puns. And you guys are like <laughs> seeing them for what they are like, oh man, that seems really well structured. And I was just like, I don't know. I just wrote it. God wasn't here. I'm going to give you an out and you can take this and run with it. Um, I'm, I think you were so engrossed in just the, you know, tire yeah. atmosphere that yeah. it just, it, the seeds were planted in your brain and you don't even know what they are. You've let's been around that. so long. Let's go with so, that. I was just, yeah. I was so into it. Um, yeah, let's go with that. Um, two notes that I want to make, by the way, about this story. One, you can go to blakemcfarland.com and check out Blake's artwork. It's incredible. Number two, we very often, I mean, we hear from people who listen to the show. I think we have a pretty young listenership. So for people who are in, let's say in high school, who are in college, who are trying to get into baseball, all that kind of stuff. There's one sort of theme that comes out of this one moral to this story. This story was brought to my attention by a guy who was an intern with the Australian baseball league four years ago, who I worked with. I was kind of one of his bosses four years ago. He interned for us. I hadn't heard from him since, but after he left, he emailed me and said, Hey, you know, it's great working with you. I really like to keep in touch. Yada, yada. Um, and that's when people tell you when you get into a business, when you're young, keep everybody's names, make as many contacts as you can. You never know who you're going to hear from down the road. You never know who is going to, you know, eventually maybe pitch you a story. You never know who's going to be a good contact for you at some point. That's the reason why. Had I never known this guy who now works for a company that did work between Blake and Goodyear uh, for this arrangement, I never would have known about this story. So just keep that in mind. If you're somebody who's young, who's in high school, who's in college, who's going to be getting into the professional world, that's why people tell you that stuff because it's sometimes it, very good advice. It comes uh, it comes. Full circle which is a random soapbox to be on but here we are yeah no see i think i think that's very helpful to know um you know sometimes we put these stories together and you know you don't want to talk too much about what went into them behind the scenes but when it it can help out in a little bit that like that that's why i'm i'm kind of grateful we have this podcast uh to share the kind of the background that, that goes into to what we do here so that wraps up three strikes for this week's edition of the show before the show podcast. We haven't even teased our guest for this week's show, uh, but he's coming up here in just a moment. Alex Kirloff was the 15th overall selection in the 2016 Major League Baseball first-year player draft. He's currently the number four prospect in the Twins organization, really talented outfielder out of Western Pennsylvania. Graduated from high school, played at a high school, did not attend that high school directly. Sam will explain why. Really interesting conversation with Alex, and that's coming up right now. Well, we are into 2017 and uh, set for uh, yet another season of this podcast, and a lot of guys are getting set for their first full seasons of professional baseball, and one of those is the fourth overall prospect in the Minnesota Twins organization and last year's 15th overall selection in the Major League Baseball first-year player draft. Alex Kirilov joins the show from Florida. Alex, welcome. How's uh, Make everybody else jealous. How nice is it in, in Fort Myers or wherever you are right now? Same, Tyler. Thanks for having me on. Uh, what is good here so far? And uh, I was just up north in Pittsburgh, so uh, the comparison's a little bit lopsided and a little bit nicer down here. So <laughs> I definitely enjoy the uh, the sunshine and the heat and well, uh, getting back into it. Well, the crazy thing is, I mean, you're not even two months away from really getting going full speed, uh, at least in terms of, you know, actual team activities when everybody reports end of February, beginning of March. And you guys, you know, I know a lot of players sort of live around the spring training facilities and do that kind of work full speed over the offseason. But for you, being that this is your first offseason in professional ball, uh, drafted in June, 55 games with Elizabethan in the in the Appy League this year, what has the offseason been like since the minor league season came to a close August, September? What has the, have the last few months been like for you? you uh it's been great really for me and it's, it kind of just helps um kind of knowing what to prepare for after you get your feet wet in the first season and everything and uh obviously living here in fort myers and having the accessibility of our complex the us our facilities and everything is great so uh, i've enjoyed it so far and i'm definitely looking forward to the upcoming season yeah, and Alex, when, when you're down there already, I mean, everybody knows kind of what happens at spring training, but when you're down there in January, um, you know, before the pitchers and catchers report officially and all that, what exactly are they having you do? What's the process when you're there for, for you know, this early? 
Um, I mean, it's a little bit dis- different from when I'm sure spring training rolls around, but I mean, it's kind of similar in certain ways that you go in and you go in every day and you get your work done and work out. And uh, it's kind of more personal atmosphere with um, the coaches and everything there being that there's not many people there. So uh, I like it. And, you know, just having the familiarity with the area and everything going into it is definitely going to be helpful. And when did the twins kind of approach you to talk about coming this earlier? Was this your idea? How did this kind of come about? Uh, it was mainly my idea too. Um, I've always been a warm weather type of guy. And um, when the opportunity presented itself to uh, come live down here and everything, uh, it was kind of a no brainer for me. So um, I've made the best of it so far and I love being down in Florida. Are you and, rooming uh, with guys right now or what's the, what's yeah. the situation? Like, I mean, how many guys are you around on a daily basis? Uh, I mean, most, most of the guys um, that are down here working out or rehabbing or whatnot, um, stay in our academy uh, on site. It's kind of a glorified hotel, whatnot, however you want to put it. But um, right now I got basically my own place and condo and everything. So um, I actually got married in the off season too as well. So I'm living with my wife right now and um, I've enjoyed it so far. Yeah. And let's kind of go back. Cause I, I want to kind of talk about all of 2016 for you. And, you know, we just finished up the year, but 2016 was a big year for you. I saw that you had became engaged and got married and got drafted, all that kind of stuff in one year. Um, but going yeah. into that, what what is different now, you know, just about your life in general than it was a year ago, you know, January, early January, everything that's changed since? I mean, it's, it's really, it's come full circle, but at the same time, it's something that I've been preparing for um, basically my whole life. And, you know, obviously, in, you know, January of, 2016 um the the hope was to get drafted and everything like that but you it's really unpredictable sometimes so um you just kind of take things as they come and you know do whatever you can control and um make it the best of the situation so everything that's happened with the draft the engagement and uh wedding and everything has truly been a blessing for, for me and i just can't thank god enough for all the things he's bestowed upon me and the opportunities i've had my life right now and going back to to what life was like for you a year ago too um you know I, i'm sure some twins fans might know some other fans of minor league baseball might not know you know you you were homeschooled you went to plum Uni- or plum high school to kind of play baseball and you played with that team but um what was what was different about your high school experience high school baseball experience uh than you know what we typically think of as you know, guys who go to the high school and then play with the team after school. How how was your high school experience a little different than that? Yeah, I mean, like you said, it was different. And it was different in the sense that uh, I, I basically did everything with the team, hung out with the guys, decided to go to school with them. And uh, I was able to have the opportunity in ninth grade to try out cyber school uh, after I switched from a small Christian school because they didn't have a baseball team or anything like that. So I tried it out. And um, the plan was if I liked it, great. If not, uh, the backup was just to go to Plum uh, and turn anyway. So I tried out cyber school and I liked it a lot and, uh, for many reasons. One of them being uh, just freed up my schedule a lot more uh, to train and to travel places, um, you know, whether it being during the fall, going to Jupiter or um, during the summer circuit like that. So it, it really is a flexible schedule and uh, helped me a lot, a lot training-wise being able to uh, – you know, go to the gym more, work out more, and during the season as well, being able to get up and have my work done by 10, 11 o'clock in the morning and then being able to go out and hit before games and uh, have the preparation that I needed. So uh, for me, it was great. I liked it and um, wouldn't change a thing. Alex, when did you first kind of start getting an idea that scouts were looking at you, you'd have a, a high likelihood of being drafted? And when did that cross from, okay, maybe I'm going to get a look at, at a professional contract to, all right, now I'm looking at being not only a first rounder, but a top half of the first round. How did that progression go during your high school career? Um, it was really neat for me because it's, it's something that um, was on the horizon that I wanted to accomplish um, growing up. And it was always one of my goals. Um, I would say I probably saw the most uh, interest and everything towards the later half of the 2016 summer. Um, you kind of you get invites to all those showcases and the uh, summer circuit and whatnot, and um, you kind of have an idea 
um, with the competition you play, how you stack up against one another, and whether you're performing or not. So um, as that progressed, that went pretty good. And then obviously during the high school season, um, just seeing people show up your games and um, backing up a little bit more in the, the winter and fall before that, having uh, all the scouts in for home visits and coming to your house and meeting you and whatnot, um, just kind of gives you an idea. And then obviously, like I said, the spring, uh, backing that up and everyone come having everyone come to the games kind of gives you more of a idea. And then, I mean, having an advisor at the time or an agent now as well kind of helps you give an idea of where they are projecting you in the draft and everything like that. So that's kind of the, the route I took and how I had the knowledge of it. I'm glad you mentioned the, the summer circuits because, you know, reading some of your pre-draft reports, everybody was saying you kind of stood out in those and that's, that is where your stock began to rise. Um, being a guy from Pittsburgh, you know, a cold weather area, um, there's always a chance, you know, the first half of your season could get knocked out from snow or cold weather. How did you view those summer circuits, you know, as in how important were they to you uh, to kind of establishing your, your pro potential? Well, they were immensely important because, I mean, if I, if I hadn't done them, it would have been hard to say if I got the same attention that I did. So being able to get out of Pittsburgh and, and travel all these places was uh, really a blessing. And, you know, obviously performing there helps out a lot as well. So, um, you know, I think what they're doing now is great. And the uh, exposure and everything that high school kids are able to get now to be able, like I said before, compete with um, some of the best players in the country, I think, is uh, really good opportunities for everyone. So I liked it a lot. And obviously you end up getting taken by the Twins. Um, you know, what did you know about the Twins going into even draft day or even before that? Uh, what was your kind of perception of that organization? And uh, what do you think of them now having gotten in a couple months in with, with this organization that you can now call your own? Um, I mean, really my first impression with um, meeting some of the scouts there, the scouts, the cross-checkers, the uh, scouting director was uh, a really good first impression. Um all the people that I've met were very genuine and uh, had good intentions uh, about things. So uh, I'm excited and uh, excited for our future and what we have going on now. And I couldn't be happier with the place that I'm in. Alex, we mentioned uh, just a little bit about your, your rookie season, but 55 games in E-Town in the Appy League, 306, 341, 454, your slash line, seven homers, 33 RBIs. You kind of did it all, nine doubles, a triple. Uh, you walked 11 times, scored 33 runs. I mean, a really well-rounded first season. To, to make that jump uh, from the prep level to the professional level, what, you know, now that you're a few months removed from it, what stands out about you or about that season to you um, in getting adjusted and getting acclimated to what it would take to be successful at the professional level and learning those lessons, what now do you want to improve on and do you want to carry into 2017 if it's your first taste of a full season ball or whatever it is? Yeah, um, no, for sure there's a lot to take away from it and there's a lot of lessons to be learned. Um, I think one of them is just establishing uh, establishing a routine and um, you know following that, having something to fall back on. And uh, like I said before, just getting your feet wet and um, kind of having more of an idea what to expect, what, what not to expect. And, um, you know, taking care of your body more and uh, preparing to play every day is another one. And so um, there's a ton of things that you can take away and learn from. And so it's just a matter of culminating all those things and uh, applying them next year and try to trying to better your game and better yourself towards that. And Alex, what, what would you consider the biggest challenge of that? I mean, they, they skipped you over the Gulf Coast League completely and sent you to a, you know, somewhere off the complex. So that that's not something that typically happens with high school hitters like yourself. Um, what, what was the biggest, you know, challenge you think you encountered when uh, during your time in the Appy League? Um, I mean, if you take the Appy League and the GCL, usually the Appy League is a little bit um, more advanced college guys as opposed to some, you know, uh, younger Latin guys or high school draft picks in the GCL. So um, just having a little bit more advanced um, pitchers on the mound and guys that are a little bit older than you and uh, have, have been in situations like that before it makes it a little bit more challenging, but um, nothing crazy or, or out of the norm for me. And uh, like I said before, having the perf- preparation that I had um, with coaches and my dad in the summer circuit helped out a lot for me. 
one of the bright young talents in the Minnesota Twins organization, Alex Kirloff, who is set for his first full year of professional baseball coming up in 2017. You can follow Alex on Twitter. He is at akirloff19. And uh, Alex, enjoy the the rest of the, I guess, the short last few weeks of the offseason into spring training. And uh, we'll be watching in 2017, man. Best of luck. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. It's been three long and lonely weeks since we've gotten a chance to talk with one Benjamin Hill from the head offices in Chelsea Market, New York City. Ben rejoins the show. I've missed you so much. I missed you more, Tyler. I really did. Um, so it's much. Been a, it, three long and lonely weeks is right. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm a pretty lonely individual in general, and then without talking to you, that loneliness just compounds upon itself, and uh, it was a sad holiday for me. I want to just start this by pointing out something that happened you were left in the lurch by Sam, as I understand it, for the polar plunge at Coney Island. Please explain. Yeah, um, last year I saw I did the I've been doing the polar plunge at Coney Island uh, for over a decade now, and last year I just happened to run into Sam, um, and I didn't know he was doing it. It was like, hey man, yeah. what's up? It was awesome. And this year he told me he was going to go, and I was on the beach and in the water and on the beach again, and I didn't see him. So I just started running up and down the beach, yelling his name, <laughs> kind of pounding my chest and ripping my chest hair out. Now it's all kind of blotchy and you know, missing parts because um, I didn't see him. And then he said he was sick, but I think I know what he was doing because he has a haircut. And uh, I think he was ah, Chinatown. Chinatown haircut. One of his one famous of his, uh, Sam Dykstra haircuts. Yeah, $4. <laughs> makes it sound like it's some weird style. Like it's the famed Sam Dykstra haircut. It, it does a it kind of haircut. Make, and then when it's followed by, yeah, it's four dollars. It does kind of make it sound like you're getting the Lloyd Christmas haircut from Dumb and Dumber, which you're not. We'll we'll point out you're not. Your hair looks oh, far better I, than mine. I kind of want to fix my hair now, though, just to <laughs> make sure it does not look that way. But, well, you know, it's uh, it's economical, as we've discussed in the past. Yeah. So just just so people actually hear my side of the story. <laughs> On this, Sam I was gets equal time sick. To like I woke himself. up the next day, like not hungover or anything, but like had a cold, and I didn't think jumping into the you know Arctic depths of the Atlantic Ocean was going to help me with that cold. So I I put it off, but hopefully next year. Okay, all right. For what it's worth, I don't think you could pay me enough money to uh, to jump freezing cold water because I am the biggest wimp who has ever lived on this planet. So with that, uh, we're going to talk a little business of baseball as Ben joins the show for the first time in 2017. And we already have promos to talk about, which is fantastic. Not necessarily all announced promos, but Ben put together a terrific blog entry, which is up at bensbiz.mlblogs.com and traces the anniversaries coming up of notable things in pop culture. We know how often minor league baseball teams seize on those. It's the 20th anniversary of this movie. It's the 25th anniversary of this album, whatever it is. Ben, give us uh, an indication of maybe what's in the pipeline for some of these teams in 2017. Yeah, I mean, as you just said, um, as the year's gone on, we've only seen more and more theme nights and uh, capitalizing on uh, pop culture phenomenons, especially a lot of 20th and 25th anniversaries uh, that can capitalize on those who grew up in the 90s, who now have that uh you know a little bit of dough on their own to spend at the ballpark and uh like having a childhood celebrated so um you know with the turning of the calendar uh turning of the calendar page into the new year i was actually somewhat inspired indirectly by the potomac nationals <clears throat> excuse me who just uh, released their promo schedule and they had a 25th anniversary of the mighty ducks movie that caught my eye and then i thought hey I had an idea to compile a list of potential promos we might see, and before too many teams start announcing them, um, you know, I better get on that. So, you know, it was just a lot of uh, scouring around the internet. I have to say, Wikipedia was helpful in this particular endeavor. But going back 50 years, you know, 50 years, 40 years, 30 years, 25, 20, um, I just tried to find uh, mostly music and movies, um, things that might be celebrated at ballparks this year. And uh, there's all kinds of things. Um, one team, I'm sure that we'll see this this year, but you know, going back 50 years, 1967, Sgt. Peppers, um, I believe there are plans in the works in minor league baseball um, for some Sgt. Peppers uh, theme nights. Um, obviously, you know, riffing on the cover of that iconic album, that would lead to some, you know, day glow, very garish theme jerseys, which, um, you know, some people might not like, but hey, it's just a day in the life that they'd be wearing it. Sorry, right. sit there. Yeah, cut out for a second. Um, oh, really? Oh, I no, just the awkward silence of it. <laughs> I'll just, just leave. Let that one hang. I'll just leave that in. Yeah, I'll just leave it awkwardly. Yeah. Um, okay, all right, I'll pick it up. Um, 
All right, three, two, one. 20 years ago, this makes me feel extraordinarily old that this is 20 years ago, but also makes me jump right back into my mode of hatred uh, for this very thing. But apparently, Mbop, the Hanson song, came out in 1997, which I remember all of the girls in my sixth grade class were huge fans of. What are the odds that that actually happened? Spice Girls, I kind of get. That was a worldwide cultural phenomenon. But Hanson... Uh, is somebody actually going to do this? I don't know if we can do because Hanson's really uh, only known for that one song. Yeah. Um, what do you think those guys do now? I don't. That said, you know, they seem to me to be talented guys, and they they can have continued to perform. I don't know they still are, but you know, I have respect for people who, you know, you, you break into the mainstream and and have a huge hit, and then you're just like, oh, you're one hit wonder. But you know, maybe you just keep working at it, and you know, where's where's the harm in that? And uh, Sam's going to their page right now. Years yeah. active, 1992 to present. So um, I don't know. Maybe they are available for minor league ballpark um, appearances. I don't know what their appearance fee would be. They're from Tulsa. (laughs) So shout out to the drillers. Yeah. Yeah, Drillers maybe have the inside track on a Hanson appearance. Um, You know, but given that a Hanson promo would really be bop related, I don't know how many uh, elements there could be to that, or I don't know what ties in visually, but I do think um, some sort of celebration of Umbop could work, or maybe just the songs in 1997 in general. Um, yeah, certainly Spice Girls, who broke out in 1997. Um, I think that one has obviously more of a visual component, uh, a little more songs to draw from that are in the popular consciousness. A little more jerseys that show off midriff, probably. Yeah, midriff-bearing jerseys. Yeah. Um, so I think some some potential with that one as well. Um, one that uh, I know we will be seeing in various forms um, and this was my favorite movie when it came out in 1992, um, Wayne's World. And um, I remember seeing that. I believe I was in seventh grade and, and walking out of the theater thinking that was literally the best movie I've ever seen. And, uh, you know, it's aged a little bit, but I always have a very um, soft spot in my heart for that movie. And I know we'll see some 25th anniversary uh, Wayne's World celebrations of minor league baseball this year. One thing I mentioned in my blog post is I think teams do have to do between inning hurling contests. You know, maybe not actually vomit related, but you could have fans, you know, hurl things like throw them and hurling or play or the, Irish hurling. Yeah, I was going to say or play the Irish sport of hurling. Yeah, that's a sport on grass. Oh, yeah, you could play. Yeah, you could play some hurling. Not. Oh, oh he did it. Got it. Yeah, <laughs> Just talking about this, by the way. As... Well, well, our, our president elect has brought not back into yeah, the uh, right. popular lexicon. <laughs> That is true. By the way, just talking about this has put Mbop in my head. And so as I go uh, put my forehead through a plate glass window, Sam, please take it away. I was going to say, I, I'm trying to think of what the next lyric is. After there that. are no lyrics. They just there... scream gibberish in that song. It's terrible. Anyway. Just uh... to do a brief psychological evaluation of <laughs> Tyler's behavior right now. I think you started off your discussion of Hanson saying all the sixth grade girls love no, that song. And that, I imagine the sixth grade girls, I'm sorry, didn't love you. No, and that So was, the rage <laughs> at the girls for not loving you was transferred to the object of their love, Hanson. I will 100% admit it. Are you Make, laying down for this, Tyler? I feel like you should be laying down for this. Crush, she loved Taylor Hanson and not Tyler Munn. And so I hated Hanson from, from henceforth. Wow. From yeah. thenceforth. We're making a lot of breakthroughs here today. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's one of the points of these kind of promotions is they bring back memories, good or bad, but people <laughs> visiting their childhoods. When I had written down, because Ben asked, like, is there anybody I missed? So I just looked up, like, 1977 movies. Annie Hall came out in 1977. And the Brooklyn – I think the Cyclone is, like, directly in that movie. Is that what – is that – Oh, I think it is, yeah. And is I that, think is the, that Annie Hall or is that Manhattan now that I'm thinking about it? I, I've seen both, but not for a long time. Either way, the Brooklyn Cyclones or Staten Island Yankees should like jump on the I think a New York team is the only team that could really pull off a Annie Hall or Woody oh, Allen sure, type but... promotion. I don't think that neurotic, um, you know, nebbishy uh, coastal humor will, you know, plays well in yeah, uh, Peoria, in so to speak. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, Annie Hall, 40th anniversary. I didn't put that one in the blog post. Um, Fleetwood Mac rumors. We mentioned that one. If anybody does rumors, I will do my best to like cover it in person. Oh, preferably a team in the Northeast, so it doesn't cost me a lot of money. But I will try to cover that as best I can for anybody listening. Truly classic album. I, I love that album with no irony whatsoever, and, and I'd love to see teams do it. As I mentioned in the blog post, you know, you look at the cover of that album, and uh, you know, Mick Fleetwood is essentially wearing a minor league theme jersey. So um, I would love to see that. Although I get – well, never mind. I will not finish the rest of my thought. But um, 
I would love to see a celebration of uh, Fleetwood Mac. Um, Titanic, 20 years old. I think that's that a, also blows that's my mind. Guarantee we'll see some Titanic promotions. Um, Dirty Dancing, 25. Appetite for Destruction, 30. I know that's not too family friendly, but one of the greatest albums of all time. Um, Achy Breaky Heart, 25 years old. Maybe some Salute to the Cyruses. Uh, type of promotion, you know, an intergenerational daddy-daughter date night. Is that just weird? No, I think it's like a <laughs> father-daughter baseball game. Yeah, it would work. Don't need to call it a daddy-daughter date But night. teams do sometimes. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, that's fine. But, um, well, I was going to ask, too, because I know at winter meetings, it, everybody's gathered there. Everybody's in one place. Uh, but there's also, te- like, organizations trying to sell these theme jerseys. Where any, when you were, went to the trade show... Could you see any of these themes popping up there, like potentially things that could be coming for the 2017? I didn't see these at the trade show. That is something that um, different vendors have done, and I think OT Sports has done it the most, of the jersey manufacturer will will do all the copyright clearances so when teams can just come to them directly and not have to deal with all the copyright and trademark issues themselves. And that's why with a lot of theme jerseys, you basically see theme jerseys that are sort of inspired by or have elements that bring to mind a particular uh, pop culture institution, but uh, they might not be, you know, official in that regard because sometimes these licenses and clearances are very hard. Um, you know, Star Wars, which 1977, 40th anniversary of the first Star Wars. Um, you know, not that teams need any excuse to do Star Wars promos. I'm sure we'll be seeing more of that. Star Wars does grant, um, you know, their trademark. Um, their, uh, their copyright, um, as long as the promotions go to charity, which they always do. I mean, the teams make money off them, of course, via the larger crowds, but the jersey auctions go to charity. And so um, that's one of the reasons that the Star Wars um, you know, promotions have been so popular and that the teams have direct access to the actual you know, logos and characters and whatnot. Um, it can be a complicated world sometimes in, in many ways. But, um, yeah, I, I didn't see any of the ones we're talking about at the trade shows kind of already um, you know, cleared and ready to go. But that does not mean they you know, aren't going to happen. And I, in the months of January and February, over the next six weeks or so, we'll see a lot of promo schedules released. And we'll see a lot of these things we're mentioning now uh, come to come to fruition or or not. And I'm sure I, I've missed plenty. I, I included about a dozen in my post, but I'm sure I missed a ton. Well, one, too, that I wanted to get to quick is it's the 25th anniversary, apparently, according to Potomac, of a league of their own. So what would you set if the over-under on for Rockford Peaches jerseys we're going to see. That seems like like a given. And I know certain teams have done promotions like Redding or Bowie um, bringing alumni of the is it AAG, PBL, all yeah. girls, yeah. professional league. Um, you know, they've already done league of their own type promotions and honoring the actual real-life women who inspired that movie. And being that it's already baseball-themed, um, you know, has a great uh, all-inclusive message. Um, that is one I neglected in my post, but... Um, I'm, I'm almost sure we'll be seeing 25th anniversary League of Their Own promotions. Um, I don't know what, to what extent Rockford Peaches, but I would not be be surprised whatsoever. We are the members of the All-American League. We come from cities near and far. I thought you were all going to join in. Well, we, we wanted you to sing it with confidence. <sighs> oh, oh. Yeah. yeah, man, this is why these sixth grade girls it, didn't like you. Like like <laughs> I couldn't belt out my own choices. Are, they're singing their hearts out, and you're just mumbling in a corner, man. <laughs> there was a happy ending to the uh, to that, that love story, and by that I mean something to tie in. Uh, I did hate Hanson because Megan Burt did not like me, but Megan Burt and I did go see Titanic together. Wow, Ooh. she was she was my sixth grade girlfriend, man. So there you go. Um, wow. Now, can you just say her name one more time? She's a musician, so Meg I wanted to kind Burt? of give her some plug. Burton. <laughs> Actually, I haven't talked to her in like five years. But uh, you know, is it Burton or Burke? Burt. 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 Like Burt and Ernie, but not B E R T. B E or B U. B U. B U R T T. Two T's. Man, you're making this so complicated. <laughs> so complicated, man. It's, anyway. It's brutal. Support the music of Megan Burt. Yeah, why not? I'm sure it's good. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I haven't listened to it. Um, let's, uh, let's move along. Uh, we have a, a brand spanking new edition uh, batting around coming up this week. There's a lot of ballpark news uh, for cities that don't yet have teams. But also ballpark news for at least one city that does. Kannapolis, North Carolina, in search of a new home for the Intimidator, seems to be making some headway, Ben. Yeah, I think this is kind of fallen onto the radar a little bit, at least my radar and over the last couple months, but they really made a lot of headway. The Intimidators, um, you know, as you guys know, their stadium is it's been through some naming rights deals. Right now it's just called Intimidator Stadium. 
but it's located uh, not in the Kannapolis downtown. It's a fairly remote, woodsy area. It's a functional ballpark, but it does it has nothing around it to draw from, and there's nothing really um, you know spectacular about it. I enjoyed the atmosphere a lot, but Kannapolis is now looking to do the larger downtown redevelopment thing, and uh, they want a ballpark to be a big part of that. So they have already, you know, commissioned over two million dollars for the design, you know, for the architectural design. They're working with Populous, um, you know, they've done all the requisite legwork on you know, feasibility studies and whatnot. So they are very far along in the process and could potentially break ground um, this summer with a 2019 opening. So um, that's one that, you know, as we've learned so many times, never say never with ball ballparks or, or, or never say it's a sure thing until you see it, but. Um, they are far along in the process, and this looks like a pretty sure – not sure bet. <laughs> what did I just say? <laughs> a decent bet to, to keep moving along at a steady pace and uh, maybe see a new stadium there in the South Atlantic League in 2019. And the other one that kind of piques my interest that, that you're going to be writing about and batting around is the potential for a team. We don't know what league. We don't even know what level in Malden, Massachusetts. Uh, for those who don't know, Malden's a, a townish slash city – uh, north of Boston, a couple towns north of Boston, just north of Somerville, uh, so very much a suburb, uh, but would be you know as close as you could probably get to Boston without having a team in the city proper right next to the Red Sox. Uh, what have you kind of learned about that possibility? Well, Malden has had a stop-and-start effort to build a ballpark, I think that goes back something like five years, where generally the object of their uh, what they were shooting for was an independent team, but they've switched course recently, and uh, it'd be privately funded. I don't know the mechanism, but they switched course and they're trying to make it an affiliated team now. And they have gotten permission from minor league baseball to, you know, to seek a minor league team. That's a different thing than getting approval to actually move a team. But they are officially permitted to look around, see what their options are. Uh, should they get this ballpark built? Uh, once again, they're aiming for a 2019 opening date, but, you know, a lot of uh, T's to cross and, and I's to dot and whatnot. Um, but that's interesting. One, I imagine there would certainly have to be territorial issues at play if they got an affiliated team being only less than 10 miles from, from Boston proper, let alone other potential minor league markets. Um, they're in the footprint of the International League, which I don't think they'd be big enough for an International League team. Uh, Eastern League or maybe New York Penn League would maybe be the, the best fit there. Uh, so a lot to figure out there, but they are going in an affiliated direction now in terms of where they're focusing their pursuit. And uh, you never know. We could see an affiliated team in Malden as early as 2019. Elsewhere outside of Malden, uh, the Texas League and the Pacific Coast League have been caught in uh, kind of a tango as it pertains to Colorado Springs and San Antonio and maybe Amarillo and now other cities in Texas. Now there is conversation. Maybe Wichita, Kansas is getting back in the Texas League mix. That's a former Texas League city. They had the Wranglers uh, in Wichita for quite some time. What's the situation there? Well, when the Wichita Wranglers existed uh, through 2007, I believe, and then they moved to northwest Arkansas and became the Naturals, they played in a stadium called Lawrence Dumont uh, Stadium, and it's now over 80 years old, so they're not going to bring affiliated baseball back with an 80-plus-year-old facility. Uh, but they are also in the exploratory stages of, of maybe building a new ballpark with the pursuit of affiliated ball. Uh, that, of course, brings up the issue of what team – and it would be hard at this juncture not to speculate that it would maybe be involved in the domino effect of Colorado Springs relocating to San Antonio, becoming AAA, then the AA missions going to a place like Amarillo or uh, Wichita or someplace like that. But there is you know, no funding or, or, or scheme right now to get um, you know, San Antonio's AAA ballpark built. I don't know if there would be another double-A team available in the absence of the missions moving once a triple-A team comes in. It's the usual game of dominoes and cause and effect. But at the very least, Wichita is throwing their hat in the ring as a contender uh, down the line in the semi-near future for a potential return to affiliated baseball. Benjamin Hill, who you can find on Twitter at Ben's Biz, and you can check out the blog, bensbiz.mlblogs.com, uh, the anniversary possibilities for 2017 MILB promotions up on the blog right now. As you sit at work or as you sit in your car, as you sit wherever listening to this podcast, there are minor league baseball front offices sitting in conference rooms and in uh, in various areas of the ballpark hammering away on their promo schedules. So uh, that's going to be the rash of news that comes out over the next couple of months getting set for the 2017 season. And also all the latest ballpark news coming up in batting around as well. And Ben, it's so good to hear your voice. It's even better to hear yours. And I'll see you next week. Even more exciting. 
I, I almost rather just hear your voice than. <laughs> well, well then. Maybe we can go to I a restaurant. One of you will sit in one booth, and the other will sit in the other booth. You can just sit back to back. We could. We can just talk. We can just talk. Or we could do that thing where you at Grand Central, where you, one person stands in a corner in the hallway, and the other person stands in the other, and you talk, and it goes over the arch. No, That's does nobody know this? No, nope, I know. I know it's oh, okay. Up. Okay, good. We'll do that. That's then. a date, Tyler. That's a date. We'll do it then. Alex Kirilov on Twitter at a Kirilov nineteen. That's K I R I L L O F F. By the way, and Benjamin Hills on Twitter. He is at Ben's Biz. And that's uh, exactly how you think. Exactly how you would think. And a big thanks to both of those guys. And as uh, as teased, I'll see you guys next week. We'll do an in person podcast next week because we are all going out for kind of a a post holiday gathering. Um, next week, I'm going to be in New York City for that, and uh, I'm excited. That, uh, that's Tuesday, and then Wednesday, we'll knock out a podcast. Yeah, those are always my, my favorite podcasts. When Me we're too! Together. Uh, not j- only just for logistical reasons, but just because it's it's nice to be in your presence, Tyler. It's nice to be in your presence, Sam. It's just, it's just lovey all over the place here in 2017. <laughs> 2017 hasn't had a chance to be ruined yet. It's only four days old. <laughs> Yeah, so let's let's just keep the positivity rolling. Our positive early year mentality here. I think we've done that with this first one. And uh, what what is this episode ninety one? Yeah, ninety. So from episode ninety one to what episode one forty three? Because we do what cow once a week, assuming we don't skip any uh, this year. Yeah, let's we'll, we'll, let's keep the positivity train rolling. One forty three. My goodness. My goodness. Uh, well, that's a ways off. So we'll we'll tease that episode in December at some point. Um, but for this one, we've had a lot of fun this week. And uh, until next week, get in touch with the show podcast at MILB.com. Sam's on Twitter. He's at Sam Dykes or MILB. I am at Tyler Mon. And, hey, we're three months away from being able to say, here's what you should watch on MILB TV this week. And that is really exciting. So get pumped for uh, the 2017 season, which is on the way way quicker than you or any of us realize. And uh, until next week. Um, off-season leagues are headed to the postseason all around the world. You can find uh, all the latest scores and standings and pertinent information for those at MILB.com and try to fill your baseball needs somehow. And uh, we'll do our best to do the same for you, and we'll talk to you next week. 